Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll excuse the children for Children's Church. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much even when we were dead in our sins that you sent your son to die for us. I thank you, Father God, that you have placed us into the body of Christ because of what you've done through Christ on the cross. And I thank you that we can come together this morning and rejoice and sing and, and worship. I thank you, Father God, for your word. And I ask, Father God, that your word would transform our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would work in us and, and empower us to be, be greater and greater at our worship and our exaltation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this time. And Father, I ask that you would be with the children downstairs, that you would minister to them and that you would teach them. Help the leaders downstairs and fill those young lives with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for all you've done. Glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Children, you're excused. gathered here and as Dean mentioned there's there's things afoot we know that there's some schedule things that, that maybe are some uncomfortable for, for some and, and maybe you're just fine with when we meet and, and that's fine but there is a lot of prayer and a lot of study going in and I, I wanted to make sure that you understood that th this isn't like going to be a snap decision because the times of, of our services ripples through so many areas of the church. The other part of this that I've, I've realized is that there are some of us, I'm one of them, who go, okay, let's solve the problem and let's get the answer right now. Boom. And that's not always wise. It's very often when I've made those kinds of decisions, I've created problems. The other part of this that I wanted to bring up, there's actually two. First of all, one of the suggestions that has been made brings us to a place where we, we need to really rejoice because a couple of people, I'd say maybe four or five, have come to me and said, well, let's just go to one service again. Look around. Okay? This is second service, and you say, well, we're the big service. Well, so is first service. We average around 200 to 220 people now every week between the two services. And as the chairs are configured right now, there's 225 chairs. We can't do that. Okay? So that's, that's like, praise God. That is amazing. That's, woo, let's, Okay. The other part is that this is, this is taken as we were talking, and, and Mike um, Wortham mentioned this at the elders' meeting. This is family. This is a family decision. It's not just 
an elder's decision, even though you have given the elders as a part of how we operate as a church permission to lead. It's still family. So um, what happened was Mike mentioned family meetings. So I'm going, let's not have church meetings anymore. Let's have family meetings. And as we go through this process, there will be a meeting, a family meeting to discuss this and, and go, here's, here's what we're thinking we need to do. And out of that, that's not a time for us to come together and vote because there's always a loser when we vote. The, the, the idea is for the family meeting to come together and go, here's the direction that we're going to go and let's rejoice that God is leading us because Christ is the head of the church and let's see what we can do to make this work better on Sunday mornings for the glory of God. It's all about the glory of God, not us. It's Him. Let's go, go take everything we can to His glory. Okay? So, so be looking for an announcement that we're going to have a, a time, a family time. And in the future, I hope we use that language more as well for the other decisions that we all have to make because we're part of the body of Christ. The other thing that I wanted to do this morning was say, based on last week's message, how's the Bible reading? Because if you aren't reading, I'm going to come get you. <laughs> you got to be in the Word. God wants us to be people of the Word, okay? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go online and look at the message last week. Get in the Word every day, every day be in the Word. Let's be people of the world. Now, I get really passionate about things, and you've seen that. You saw that last week, and God has stirred some things in me while on sabbatical. And there's two parts that God has stirred that have always been a part of who I am as a Christian, and they work together in the church. And that's the passion for today. And these two areas, they, they work so much together. I've been in church services and conferences and prayer meetings and gatherings, Christian events of all sorts in Europe, Central America, India, and of course lots of different places in the United States. And all of these events, no matter what it is, there are two consistent practices. It doesn't matter whether it's a, a Sunday morning church service. It doesn't matter whether it's a pastor's conference, a youth rally. I, I, I was thinking about this youth rally thing. Huge in India. A crusade. Again, well, I, I remember a, a meeting in India, and they, they stopped counting. They just plain lost count at 5,000 people. And in that... Uh, maybe it's something smaller. College students. When I was a student on campus in Greeley at, at UNC, we got together in the park, a bunch of us college kids, and we were fellowshipping in the park. And these same two things were in that. So you've got 5,000 people coming together, and you've got these two components. You've got a, a small group that's come together, and you see these two components. What are the two things? Preaching and singing. Okay, now, some of you are going to go... Okay, he's going to exalt his own gift and his desire to preach, which don't take that away from me. 
But I also have this incredible love for music that goes back to infancy. I grew up in a home where there was singing every single day. My dad sang all the time. It didn't matter what he was doing. I, I, I remember he and I were working together. He remodeled bathrooms and kitchens. That's what put beans on the table. And we're in this really difficult bathroom remodel, and he's working with the plumbing. Rejoice, right? Okay. And I knew what I wanted to express about the problems we were having with the plumbing. And what's my dear old dad doing? He's in there singing songs, singing away. Dad, we'd go someplace in public sometimes. And we go, Dad, not now. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Two parts to his singing that influenced me a lot. Barbershop harmony. It's something I, I love. I mean, getting that fifth note to ring. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But his other deep passion was singing in the church. Church music. Singing. We were always singing. So, I love to preach and I love to sing. And singing in the church, I've also had, it's usually men that'll go, Pastor, I don't sing because if I did, I'd empty the room. I, I understand that. There's some people who, who, who know that their singing doesn't work. Okay? But I want us to learn something about singing, even for those of you who feel like, I can't sing. I want you to sing because it's something that has to do with the heart, and that's part of this passion. I'm not exalting my gift of preaching. I'm going to use that gift to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have these two things, preaching and singing. doesn't matter where you go in Christianity. You get together, you got preaching and you got singing. You got singing and preaching. You're going to hear that a lot. Have you understood? Have you, have you ever wondered why we do that? Why do we get together on Sunday mornings and Zach or I or somebody preaches and everybody sings? And I've been in meetings where everybody sings and then somebody preaches. And in India, somebody sings and then they preach and then somebody sings and then somebody preaches and then they all sing and then somebody preaches again and then somebody preaches again and then there's more singing and you've been there for eight, nine hours. Why do we do this? And there are two reasons, I believe, for this, and they drive the passion that I have for these two areas. These reasons are also exclusive to Christianity. Only in Christianity do you find preaching and singing like this. Singing and preaching, preaching and singing. Only in Christianity. Muslims do not do this. Hindus do not do this. Buddhists do not do this. Sikhs don't do this. Confucianism doesn't do it. There's no other religious movement on the planet that gets together and there's preaching and singing. Singing and preaching. Message and music. Somebody speaks, everybody sings. This is Christianity. So why do Christians do this? Why? Why is this unique to Christianity? Two reasons. First one, and I'll try to get the first one done in an hour, and then we'll... 
There are some who will say that Christianity is an interesting philosophy. There are some who say Christianity has unique theology. And there are some who will say that that Christianity is really nothing more than valuable system of ethics. And usually people will associate Christianity with a good way to live. I wouldn't disagree, really, with any of those. But none of those have much to do with defining Christianity. Nor do they have anything remotely to do with our practice of preaching and singing. So all of those things aren't necessarily bad, but that's not the reason that we preach and sing. Christianity is the only religion created and sustained by news. This is, this is the first reason we do what we do. This news, it's created and sustained by news. Staggering news. Extraordinary news. The greatest news for helpless, undeserving sinners. It's news. The foundation of this, this news extends back into the, the foundations of Christianity, Old Testament. There's numerous places where you can see this this idea of of preaching and singing and and the reasons behind it in the Old Testament. I picked one. Isaiah 40, verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion. Herald, it's an important word, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Judah, behold your God. Do, do you hear the, the singing and the preaching there? This idea of good news, it, it, it extended out of the Old Testament and became a part of, of the New Testament. Very familiar passage. You'll, you'll hear it. Luke 2.10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christianity is all about news, good news. my, My college degree is in mass communications, radio, and TV, but I had two minors, geography, I can find places on the planet Earth. Okay. And the other one was journalism. So I really resonate in certain ways with this idea of news. And by the way, there's no real journalism left. Just an aside. News. Christianity is all about news. An event occurred. So this is the journalism part. An event occurred at a specific place, at a specific time. And when you start through the story of the good news, we, people, had nothing to do with its cause. We didn't ask for it to happen. We didn't design it in any way, shape, or form. God acted unilaterally to save people he created. That's the news. At exactly the right time, God invaded human history. The virgin conceived and bore the God-man, Jesus Christ. 
That's good news. The good news continues. Christ lived a perfect life which no other human could live. He suffered the punishment of death all other humans deserved. And he rose from the dead with indestructible life. And he shares that life with people who have faith in him. He and the Father, after Christ ascends to heaven, He and the Father send the Holy Spirit to dwell in those believers. And He's coming again to complete the work of redemption. That's good news. That's what we're all about. God did this. It happened. There was a sudden, unstoppable blast of divine action in history. What a news story is that? Suddenly, as never before, there was news Incredible news, eternal news that extends to the entire universe. News relevant for every people group, every race, in every country, on every continent. Good news. Such immeasurably great news of indescribable joy. And that indescribable joy, that's, that's what drives some of this preaching and singing. That's what's behind it. Why? The news needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be preached. We need to sing about it. It needs to stir us up to overflowing. The the news must be heralded, proclaimed. It must be lifted up with voices of ecstatic passion because of the glory of the main character in the news. Who's the main character? Jesus. This is spectacular news. Spectacular. And this is this spectacular, incredible news is what drives the Christian practice of preaching and singing. For 2,000 years, preaching and singing, preaching and singing, singing and preaching. All over the planet. Why singing and preaching? Because Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not only theology. It's not a fine moral code. It's not a pattern of daily devotions. It's it's not a great moral code. Even though we get our morality from it. What is it? First and foremost, Christianity is news. Good news. All other religions call people to do their very best that they can for God. The other religions call their people to pray. Do your prayers. Give your offering. Keep your fast in place. Make your pilgrimage. And if you do all those things, maybe God will look, maybe God will look on you with favor. Maybe. That list is not good news. That is not good news. And those religions are false. And they are driven by Satan. Not good news. So, so this, is, this is where the first answer comes for why we do what we do. Good news. Good, good news is the gospel. And, and gospel means good news. Euangelion, euangelion means, in the, in the Greek, 
bringing good news. It's, it's not just good news. There's, there's a little bit bigger nuance to it, especially how it's used con- contextually. It, it means to bring good news. So it's, there's this expression of, you could go so far as to say, the proclamation of good news. So on one sense, we could say that the good news, the gospel, is this, Scripture, the Bible. Because this is all about the coming of Jesus Christ. It tells us all about God's plan of redeeming humanity. So we could say, broadly, the gospel is Scripture. But more narrowly, and what drives the preaching and singing is the good news of Christ and the way of salvation specifically portrayed by what Christ has done. Paul clearly states the elements of the gospel in a very key passage found in 1 Corinthians 15. This is, this is one of those passages, if you want to understand the gospel, there's a very simple, simple statement And it's a key. This is possibly the key passage concerning the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Very clear, very concise. And Paul says the gospel, and he uses the phrase, is of first importance. Now, I want you to understand some some of the Greek meaning in that phrase. What's behind that phrase? First importance. Literally, that, that's talking about nothing is more important. And the way that Paul presents that, and it was very often used, is if, if you're going to listen to me as a teacher, as a preacher, or whatever, listen to everything I have to say, but what, I, what I'm going to say next is the very most important you will ever hear come through my voice. This is the, this is the epitome. This is the top. Nothing is more important than what I'm about to say. And what does he say? The gospel. Jesus came. Why did he come? To save us from hell. The good news is simple. Christ died for his sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. According to scripture, he says. And Paul also adds, there were eyewitnesses to this. There's eyewitnesses to the components of the gospel. This stuff really happened. It wasn't made up. This is what we preach. And this is what we sing about. We we do these two things because of what Christ did. And it's awesome. It's so powerful. How powerful. Paul says this in Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, and to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Did you catch it? It is the power of God for salvation. Now, in my experience in the churches I've served, 
I don't know that I've had it happen here, but in one of the churches, there's a nice woman who came to me and she said, Pastor, you, you always are preaching and you say the gospel. Every week, you, you talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It doesn't matter what part of the Bible you're in. You, it, it's about, can, you, can you stop that? It's, it's kind of getting old. Whoa, 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 time out. So, so my first response when she said that was just to go, oh, enough of that. The second was, no, wait a minute. There is not anything more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not ashamed to proclaim the gospel every single time I'm in a pulpit. I want people to hear the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It needs to be boldly proclaimed because, as Paul says, it is a powerful message able to save people from hell. John 1.12 teaches us that we were once enemies of God and have by the blood of Christ been adopted into the family of God. How are we adopted into the family of God? By the blood of Jesus, the gospel. It takes us right back to the same good news. It's good news. That's what we preach. There's this preaching thing. Okay, Paul says in 2 Timothy... For one and two, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Right there, preach the word. Caruso halagos. Caruso halagos. Yes, it means to herald. Caruso, preach. Herald. Proclaim it. Go out in the streets and shout it as loud as you can. Jesus Christ came and died for humanity. And he rose from the dead. We sugarcoat things in the Word sometimes. Preach. Okay, that's what Bill does. No. Was that directed to Timothy? Yes, it was. Was Timothy to go preach? Yes, but by extension, so are all of us. Now, in that passage, in verse 2, Paul includes preaching and teaching. So one of the questions that Zach and I get asked often is, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? So I'm going to teach just a little bit here. I'll still preach. There is a distinction between preaching and teaching, as well as an overlap. The overlap, let's deal with that first, the overlap is the content. Christian preaching, Christian teaching, the overlap, biblical truth. That's where they're the same. The difference between the two lies in the mode and the immediate goals of both. Preaching. Preaching literally like Keroso means. It means proclaim, heralding. So in preaching, we're, we're heralding the incredible truths of Scripture. And the immediate goal of preaching is invitation and exhortation. So Somebody who's preaching, like what's happening right now, I'm going, 
They've got to get it. They've got to get it. Invitation. An exhortation. Get it, get it, get it. Go do, go do. That's preaching. Exciting something. Now, teaching... Teaching is presented in a more detailed and systematic way. And the immediate goal of, of teaching is to transfer knowledge to be put into practice. And that teaching aspect is crucial for Christians to mature as believers. They're both necessary, and they both bring us to maturity. But teaching is transferring this knowledge so that we know how to do what we should do. There's another difference. Preaching moves in one direction. From preacher in the pulpit to those listening. So, so I struggle sometimes on Sunday mornings because my, my roots of preaching were in the charismatic world. And some of you don't have any idea what that is, and some of you do. Okay, so, so sometimes I get up here, and it is so one way. I preach, and you all are going, whoa, what do we do with that? When I started preaching, I could say things like, glory to God, and there'd be six people who'd stand up and go, yay and amen. <laughs> so there are times in preaching when there's feedback. And as a public speaker, I know that there's feedback because there's certain people, as I look around the room in my experience of preaching, and I see certain people, thank you, sister, because your daughter's doing the same thing, I'm getting something back. So that's there. And if you've ever been in, in certain services, especially um, black services, there, there is a lot. Preach it, brother. Preach it, brother. I remember preaching in the basement in our little tiny church. And there's a missionary home, and he leans against the wall in the back like this, and I'm preaching. And I get to some place, you know, and, and I'm passionate about the word. And he goes, from the belly, brother. <laughs> Yay and amen. Primarily, preaching is one direction. Teaching, if it's done well, is driven by the teacher. But questions from students shape that. And there's a conversation and there's interaction between teachers and students. So there's a difference between preaching and teaching, but there's an overlap. Now, now, we're talking about preaching and singing. So what about singing? Like I said, I've been around singing my entire life. My goodness. This whole idea of singing is so, so important, and it's driven in the same way as preaching. Look at Ephesians. There's two passages. Ephesians 5, beginning of verse 18. Paul writes, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but filled with the Spirit. I'm going to stop there because this very often is used right there. That's, that's as far as anybody gets because we use this as a proof text that you shouldn't drink alcohol. And that has nothing to do with the point that Paul's making. He's making the point, be influenced by the Spirit. You understand what it means to be influenced by alcohol. Now what I'm saying is be influenced by the Spirit of God. And how are we influenced by the Spirit? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making a melody to the Lord with our hearts. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Sing! He gives the same exhortation in Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We're to sing. Maybe you can't carry a tune in a bucket. It doesn't matter. It wells up from the heart. The reason that we sing is the same as for preaching. It's the gospel, the good news. We don't sing about our opinions. We sing what God has revealed and what God has done. Believers are filled to overflowing with an affection and thankfulness because we are eternally alive in Christ. Our minds are alive for eternity with the truths of God. And the result is this desire deep inside of us to go, God, you're great. I sing of the mercies of God. Whatever it would be. Paul writes, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, as we gather together corporately, together on a Sunday morning or in other meetings, singing is mainly addressed to God. But it is also directed to one another. One of the most astonishing things in my entire life that shows this was at a pastor's conference. And and there's a couple thousand pastors, mainly, at this conference. And the music is going, and, and we've heard speaker after speaker, and, and, and now it's this, this time, and we're going to sing together. And here's all these mainly men. There were some women there, but, but mainly men, and they're singing. And, and the musicians have taken us to this place where we're, we're singing some old hymns. And don't get me, do not go here. That doesn't mean that old hymns are better than the, some of the new stuff. That's no, don't go there. It just happened in this meeting, we started singing some old hymns. And the, the instrumentalists just slowly backed away. And you had this room of a, a, a few thousand people, a cappella, singing praises to the Lord Jesus Christ, lifting God's name up. And people had their hands up, and people were, were singing. And, and yeah, some of them were, were good enough musically. There's harmony. And there's some of them, we talked with some of them later, and they were going, all I could do is just go like this, because I don't know how to sing. And they were doing exactly the same thing, lifting Jesus up, singing. And that brought us to, not just to goose pimples, but beyond that to where you just can't hardly contain your emotions and your insides because of what you are focused on. What were, they, what were we all focused on? The Lord Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. And while we're singing, it was marvelous musically, yeah. And the glorification of God was incredible. And at a certain point, there's an aroma that we talked about for days afterwards. We were in the presence of the creator of the universe. When, when our vocalists come up front, you know, Ty and Riley, I don't know if they're still in it, Ty is. Do they, do they, 
do good, you know? Wow. They're not here to entertain you. They are not up here on stage to entertain you. When we come together on Sunday morning, this is not Christian entertainment. The purpose of anybody who's up here musically is that of a priest. So greet Ty, priest Ty. He's bigger than me. I'll have to run. Why do I say that? Because they become the intermediary. They're leading us somewhere. They, they're taking us somewhere. They're focused on the kingdom of God. They're focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. So they're taking us all somewhere. They're not here to entertain you. They're here to help us corporately, all together, go somewhere to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Singing and making a melody in our hearts. Worship and singing, by the way, are not synonyms. When we talk about worship, very often in Christian circles, people mean singing. That's not, stop doing that. Is singing worship? Yes, it is. But so is preaching. So is giving of our finances. So is communion. So is prayer. So is just the simple fact that here we are, the family of God, the body of Christ right here locally together. That's worship. Singing is just one of the parts of our worship, and it is so important. We join our voices together, and it's, it's a form of what we call corporate worship. Man, it's powerful. Singing has a peculiar power to awaken and express our strong affections because of who God is and what he has done. I got to share this about my daddy. He's dying of cancer. He's in so much pain we got upset at one of the nurses one day because they're just giving him so much morphine. And she comes in and she looks at the, the bottle and she goes, Oh, no, he can't be taking that much morphine. And we're going, he's going to die. He is incredibly suffering in pain. And I remember, I can't remember if it was morning or afternoon, I can't remember, but he's in there, he's laying on his bed, and he's sweating from the pain. And we hear... Oh, to the glory of Jesus. And he's singing. He's singing to the Savior. Singing takes us someplace. Driven by the gospel. Preaching and singing go together because the good news is God's gift. It's the beauty of God in Jesus Christ. It's a beauty. It's beyond description. And it's a beauty that we experience and we will have everlasting. And there's a joy that comes from this when we're saved. We see God's glory. I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll start in verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Marvelous passage. In the middle of the verse, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Gospel, good news. So, so he's using that term. So, so this links our text to Christianity being news. Now let's go on. Verse 5. 
For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now there's an interesting parallel in these two passages. In verse 4, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And then in verse 6, Paul writes, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So you have glory of Christ, glory of God. Is there two different glories? And the answer is no. I don't think so. And the reason is that Paul qualifies both glories. He, he defines them. In verse 4, the glory of Christ, and he defines it, who is the image of God. In verse 6, the glory of God, and he defines it, in the face of Jesus Christ. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the glory blazing from the face of the incarnate Christ who died and rose from the dead to save humans. It's Christ's glory because of the very, he is the very image of God. Not two beauties, one. The reality of this, this glorying that we see in these two passages when we are confronted with Christ, so very often we talk about a sinner being confronted by Christ, and very often we talk about, you know, growing in Christ as being, a, being confronted by, by Jesus. And we very often follow that up with, you're being confronted by Christ, so the question is, what's your decision? What decision are you going to make? Well, on one hand, okay, I get that. But it's really not a decision as much as it is who do you see? Who do you see? Do you see Christ? Do you see, see Jesus in the gospel as beautiful? More beautiful and more glorious and more satisfying than anything else. There is absolutely nothing more glorious than our Savior who died for us, who for all of eternity we are going to look at and we are going to go, there is nothing more glorious than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The greatest good of the good news is Christ and nothing is more spectacularly beautiful than the glory of Christ. When we see the greatest good of the good news being Christ, we know something internally. What we know is that God has miraculously, through the power of Jesus' blood, opened our spiritual eyes. We are no longer blind like the people that Paul just spoke of in 2 Corinthians 4.4. The gospel is not hidden to us. God has done a miracle in our hearts. We were in darkness. We couldn't see God as glorious or Christ as beautiful. And God miraculously said, intervened and said, let there be light. And we saw Jesus Christ dying upon the cross, being buried, lifted up, ascending into heaven and being glorious for all of eternity. Beyond all comprehension, Christ appeared beautiful to us. He 
God did a miracle. He gave the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus in our hearts. This is a heart issue. When you think about being saved, you think, wow, God, it's still glorious. Jesus is so beautiful. So why preaching and singing? Do you get it? Do you see the two reasons? First of all, Christianity alone among all religions is created and sustained by the spectacular news of Christ, the gospel. And because of that gospel, because of that news, Christianity is also unique because we proclaim and express with hearts of, of celebration. We can't contain our excitement about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. So we celebrate. That's what's behind preaching and singing. I picked a psalm to finish with. Psalms 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. For he is to be, a, uh, be feared above all small g gods. To the glory of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Father, help us. And forgive us when we lose sight of the glory of the face of our Savior. Holy Spirit, stir us up that we would take the glory of the gospel and proclaim it in every place that you take us. Oh, that your name would be lifted up. That we would see continually in our spirits the fabulous, immense, eternal glory of the Son of God who died for us and rose from the dead and is eternally the most glorious thing that we could perceive. Use us, Father, to preach and sing. In Christ's name, amen.